still going, huh? How long you known them to sit like that, staring into the screen? They've always sat there on that sofa, for as long as I can remember. That is, since I fixed the TV all them years ago. And you never felt the need to rouse them from their seats? Not once? Not once. They seem content enough, don't you think? Oh sure, plenty. There was a time I was content as they are now, searching for the pixel in that screen. The pixel that would lead me to a different plane, another place, a better place. Yeah, you're right. They're searching for it too, aren't they? I thought I saw it once, long ago, but it slipped from my vision as fast as a channel changes over to the next. But you saw it then, the pixel, as real as we see those two with their eyes open wide and glassy, thumbs twitching. It was more well defined and yet less so. The outline of something both remembered and forgotten. A point of existence I'd thought all but impossible, endlessly long, yet somehow cyclical in its very nature. Did you hear it? Did it whisper to you? Oh yes. Clear as day, it spoke with a confident tone, not unlike the cries of these two children, strangely characterful, as if it had not one voice, but two. I can't believe you'd be so lucky. But what did it say? You're sure you want to know? You sure you can handle it? I guess I am. It said, I'm not Ben, I'm Teo. And I'm not Teo, I'm Ben. And this is Pixel Vision. What game are we talking about this time on Pixel Vision? We're talking about Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah. As you got a hint in the introduction there. Yeah, and it's a point-and-click adventure, and it's set in the deep south, and it's very much a visual novel where the story is told through what I think are beautiful pictures that go with each scene, beautiful places, sometimes dark, sometimes mysterious and surreal. A lot of the game is told through dialogue, so you start as Conway, a truck driver who is out on a delivery to Five Dogwood Drive, but they do not know where Five Dogwood Drive is. Now, there's not many people know that. They hear that it's on the zero, uh, Equinus Oils, a gas station, and the whole game is about Conway's quest to deliver the antiques that he's driving to Five Dogwood Drive. Did you just jump straight in with the tear monologue there, right from word go? I, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I did. I don't know why. <laughs> I, no reaction, no sort of debrief, just like fired up. Ready to go! Fired up! Ready to go! <laughs> I only finished it last night. Fortunately, the last act is the shortest one. I think that's a spoiler to say that. And yeah, it left me feeling quite meditative and thoughtful. I suppose I didn't want to start with any fripperies, jokes, silly behaviour. I just wanted to, you know, just talk about the game. No, no, I wouldn't dream of starting with (laughs) silly behaviour, mate. No way. (laughs) One word I did think that was perhaps missing from your Teo monologue, if you don't mind a quick critique, Mm -hmm. is I don't think you said surrealist. Did you? I said surreal, but not surrealist. Oh, okay, all right. I should have been listening. I should have been listening. Next time I'll pay attention, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, it is surreal. Um, the world itself, I don't know. Have you ever read those Neil Gaiman books? I can't remember the universe, which they're set. He's written a lot. Which ones? Do you mean the God American Gods? Don't know if it's set in the same universe as that. It's one where like it, uh, there's like London on the surface, and then there's a oh, sort of like... Oh, between the cracks. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but... Yeah, so the world reminded me a bit of that. It's like, it's the world we know, but it's quite weird. But it's not exactly magic either. It's just, there are these strange sort of unknown places, which everyone seems to know about. Like, there's a collective understanding that these places exist, but there's no real reference to them being particularly weird or, like, out of the ordinary. So I suppose in that sense, it it is set in a different world, but... Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's no reference made to that. Like, it's one of those games where, like, you start and you think, like, has this person just died and they're, like, living through the moments of their life or something like that. Like, it's one of those kind of vibes. Yeah, I mean, as soon as the game starts, I started in my head to treat it like any other sort of puzzle game. 
Especially because I think it tricks you a little bit into thinking that when you first enter the gas station and you go downstairs because the guy's like, oh, my computer's broken. You'll need to explore in the basement to fix it. So you go down there looking for some switch, some spark plug or whatever it is, a fuse. Yeah. And you see these people playing, I think, poker or some other game. No, it's not. It's some sort of dice game, isn't it? It's just a board game, yeah. Yeah, and they've dropped a dice. I tried to work out what board game it was. I thought maybe it was like dropping enough references, but I couldn't. Mm. But anyway, they drop a dice and they keep mentioning that it glows. Mm. And so you think, oh yeah, I'll turn off my lantern, I'll see it glow, and there it is. And you pick it off and you're like, yeah, solve the first puzzle. Yes. That is the only puzzle (laughs) in the whole game. It's so true. It does such a little self-referential, like, here's the first fetch quest, and here's the first simple puzzle for you to solve. And at that point, you're basically thinking, this is going to be a snore fest if the rest of the game is like this. What did everyone see in this game? But yeah, as you say, that's the first and last puzzle in the entire game. Yeah, and it only gets much weirder, because the guys who are playing at the table don't seem to be aware of you. They don't seem to know that you're there beyond one of them references perhaps hearing a voice or something like that, which is a recurring theme throughout the game. Uh, Every now and again, you'll sort of stumble into ghosts, I guess, who will seem to be aware of your presence, but not quite. And that's never really explained. I think you're left to kind of piece together what is going on. And when I first started, I was like, oh yeah, I can definitely figure this out. This is a game that you can figure out. Mm. But I just don't think it is, actually. I don't think it is a game that you can figure out. I think it's way more, like, thematic. It's just meant to conjure impressions. I almost don't want to judge it as a game, in fact, because it's more of a sort of interactive novella or, like, piece of museum art. (laughs) It's interactive. So I I think quite managed to say it in the monologue, but way that the interactive dialogue works in it so in a normal role-playing game you'll have a set of options and there might be times when like you have a choice of five so disco elysium for example and then one of them is like the super communist option one of them's the totalitarian option the kind of slacker option whatever you you have these roles which you're playing learn more by listening to episode one of pixel vision (laughs) disco elysium And you choose the option, but most of the time there's nothing stopping you going back and talking to that person again and taking on a different persona to the one that you took on the first time. Whereas in this game, every choice is final. You only get one time which you can choose what to say next. And this this gives it a greater weight. And also the way that you are allowed to construct the story yourself with these dialogues is amazing and often unexpected. Like you might be talking to someone about someone that they know and then you might be able to answer with like a piece of their history like either they met in a prison or they met on a boat or something like that and then you click oh yeah I remember they met in a prison and then it'll say like oh yeah one of them was the guard and the other one was uh, the warden and it'll go off on this sort of tangent a choose your own story which you you feel invested in because you've kind of you've planted the seed for that story to start but it won't go in necessarily the way that you expect it to. I'm glad that you mentioned Disco Elysium there, because I think more than any other game we've played since Disco Elysium, this is one that is extremely text-heavy and extremely text-based. But it's written in a way that I kind of imagine an AI would write a game, Mm. or not necessarily a game, but a story. Mm. Uh, So like, have you heard of GPT-3, that new open AI that everyone's raving about at the minute and is writing You're so right. articles left, right? You're and so right, that? yeah. Because it's got that surrealist edge. Yeah, it's like, I think the way that that works is basically you give it a prompt and then it sort of speculates on the prompt you've given it and it ends up as this sort of almost stream of consciousness that you can sort of make make sense if you want, but ultimately is still written by an AI kind of thing. Mm. Um, And it kind of encompasses loads of seemingly disparate themes and ideas, but jumps quite randomly between them and sometimes is contradictory within them. And that's sort of how each of these stories unfolds within each scene. 
you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I sent, either you sent it to me or I sent it to you, that article it wrote on why humans have nothing to fear from artificial intelligence. And it had been given that as a prompt and like written this like convincing essay. And for the most part, you're like, oh, a human could be reading this. And then there are points where it's a bit too weird and uncanny. And you're like, no, that's not like, that's not quite right. That's not something someone would say. This game feels a little bit like that. Yeah, like, like you're always choosing the middle option in predictive text is how yeah. I think. And that thing in role-playing games where, well, I don't know if you have it as well, but I always try and choose the least obvious option. Not always, like it's not constantly going through my head, but I think, hmm, I've got these three options. I wonder what the percentage of players choose A, B or C. And then I think I'm just going to choose C because I think it's the least chosen option. But every option in this game makes you think like it's the most chosen option like whenever I chose it I was like did they just want me to click that like am I constantly doing what they expect me to do (laughs) I definitely think sometimes the writing of one or two of the options leads to the same outcome because there are a couple of times when your prompt might be something like um I don't know I'd love to sit down or the other thing you say is like I'd like to listen to the radio and then when you click it it's like let's sit down and listen to the radio (laughs) I mean, ne- never that, never that literal, but something a little bit like that. So I think they've probably been able to cover more ground than we expect by tying some of the options together. But definitely it feels like you could easily play it again and have a different series of stories. Not radically different, but you'd sort of hear different mm. people's memories or different thoughts. I mean, it's such a bizarre game. I think the writers intend you to play it again, or at least have the option to play it again, because they give you three, when you first boot up the game, I think they give you a blank tape, a blank video cassette, and something else. Hmm, I can't remember, but yeah. I assume those are just different save slots. Yeah. But I suppose if you were being really analytical about it, you could start three different games, play each chapter, because the game's broken into chapters or acts and scenes. And then throughout each scene, when you're given three options, choose a different option and sort of see how each one differs. But I mean, that would be, I feel like that would be dissecting it in a way that the game never intended to be dissected. Interesting. I'm not sure if it, well, I mean, intended or not intended. I can imagine people doing that because it feels like a deep thing which you could think about for a while in the same way that people have analysed great books to death over and over again some things you just think actually i want to go back and like read that again and look at it again because you feel like you've missed something like you've got something from it but you haven't got everything that you could have done from it just as a quick aside would you go back and play it again in case you'd missed something (sighs) you see that would be my reaction as well i don't think i would and that's not because i didn't enjoy it per se Although it is a strange game to say that you enjoy or don't enjoy, since, at the risk of sounding like the script itself, (laughs) it just kind of happens to you. Yeah, it does. But it's more like you're observing. So you know when you go... (laughs) You know when you go into a museum and it's a pretty normal museum and you're going from room to room and there's loads of different artworks on the walls and stuff and then you go into one room and it's all dark and there's a little bench in the middle with some sort of tatty headphones on it and then there's a big screen on one side and just like black and white flickering images (laughs) and then another scene comes in and it's like a really long thing of countryside and then suddenly straight in a close up of some like hardcore pornography or something and then it's something else It's a little bit like you've walked into that room, put those headphones on, and then you're just sitting there and being sucked in, kind of like the kids Mm. in the intro, into whatever's unfolding. Mm. Although you do have, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but you do have some agency in the game. So like right off the bat, you're meant to be making this delivery and you go out of the gas station and then there's this whole map. Mm. You can move along these roads and there's this sort of wheel that represents your truck and you can move anywhere on those roads. Like you can go anywhere you want. The map's like relatively small, but there is a sense of player agency and freedom there. And as you drive along these roads, like a, a little symbol might pop up and you might get a little story vignette at a church or a lake or something. 
but you're right you never really feel that free and another thing which adds to that sense of a game happening to you is that you play as every character in the game and you never know at what point you're going to be speaking for which character so initially there's just conway and then he uh, meets weaver and her sister shannon and so initially when this happens and you meet shannon in the mine and as soon as you meet her, you get to speak for her and then you get to speak for Conway as well. And you're like, what am I playing both characters here? And then by the end of it, you're, you're playing every character. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. And actually, sometimes you're not playing any of the characters, which mm. is kind of clever as well. So like, mm. that was actually my favourite scene, I think, because when you go into, speaking of museums, you go into a museum, I can't remember what it's called now, but you go into it and there are sort of series of exhibits mm-hmm. and when you go over to them there's these placards and it tells you the history so it's like you're the museum staff and there aren't even any staff around like it's just you in this museum but it's the staff reflecting on your visit to the museum so when you click on some plaque at one thing it'll say museum staff to someone else like a man and his dog came in they spent quite a long time in the log cabin over there talking to old peter wonder what they were saying to each other or something like that and then you'll walk over to the log cabin you'll click on it and it will again be museum staff having a conversation like yeah the man and the dog came here they wanted to know about julian or something but i told him been a long time since i've seen julian it's like you're not even playing these characters you feel completely powerless at that point you're like what's happened like am i a ghost can nobody see me what's going on here that's that's so strange that bit you're totally right where they're all speaking about you as if you were long gone and this was happening far from now so strange but that's why i think i don't know whether i agree with you when you say that you have agency in the game because i think you've got the illusion of agency throughout the game in that sure you can ride on the roads if you want But like, if you want to progress, you have to go to where it tells you to progress. Mm. And when you're given choices, they don't feel like choices, like like prompts to the beginning of a poem is fine. Like you've got three different prompts to the beginning of a poem, but it always assumes you want to say a poem and it's always going to be a really weird poem that doesn't really make any sense. Again, just quite random. Mm. That sense of randomness, it makes it difficult to want to play. Like you want to experience it, but I don't know whether I would want to sit down again and play another sort of 12 to 14 hours or however long it is. Yeah. You want you want to watch it. To watch it. Yeah. You want you want to watch it. To watch it. To watch it. Yeah. You want you want to watch it, but it would be a completely different experience if you weren't able to click those dialogue options. Like if I were to just read that text on the screen, like the experience would be missing something for sure. But going back to the freedom thing, I think it's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it until just now. But like you start off in the car, in the truck, and you're able to go on the roads, which are quite like well delineated, but still some freedom. And then at another point, you get sucked into this place where there is literally only just one road you can go down, either backwards or forwards. That is route zero though, isn't it? Because it's in a ring. It's a, it's a zero. That is the zero. Yeah, exactly. I, did, I hadn't actually clocked that. I feel stupid. <laughs> That's why they say, like, get back on the zero. And then basically the way you navigate that is they'll say, go clockwise till you see this symbol. Then go anti-clockwise till you see this symbol. Then go clockwise. And like, that's how you navigate the zero. And it is really disconcerting when you first do it. Yeah. In fact, if you get lost, the game prompts you to go to sleep and let Weaver take over the driving. That happened to me because I, I couldn't navigate my way. And Weaver's just like, uh, you're not looking too good. I think I'll take it from here. It's like the game say, like, you haven't done this well. I'm just going to take you to the next spot, whether you like it or not. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so you've got that. So that's obviously way less choice, just backwards or forwards. But then you get to control the bird who um, is going to take you to this forest along with this child. God, it sounds so, so surreal. So surreal. So, 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 so surreal. But yeah, but you can go anywhere on the map with the bird can't you like i followed a random river in completely the wrong direction just to see what would happen yeah me too yeah especially because the bird circles in a really pleasantly hypnotic fashion around the screen yeah really pleasantly hypnotic the art style is very basic actually that's totally misleading the art style is not basic graphically it's basic but the art style itself is really detailed and the amount of 
finesse with which they carry it off, like the floating of the bird in that circle. Like, it looks like a bird flying around your screen, even though it's a little pencil drawing. Mm. And the same with the wheel of the truck. Mm. It's like a... It's like it kind of <laughs> has little pedals on either side that kind of go around. Ben's motioning pedals with his uh, hands now, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, and it sort of wobbles around as it, it goes does. along the road. It oscillates. Yeah, and like at one stage, your character, who's kind of a little bit, he gets a bit injured in the mine at one stage, mm. and you notice that he's just puts his hand to his leg and he sort of drags it a little bit, mm. and it's a really minor thing, but it's just quite nice, like an added detail that they didn't really need to do because it's a text adventure, but they did anyway. In much the same way, again, as Disco Elysium. It's quite a similar art style in some ways, actually. Mm. Yeah, like, Disco Elysium is more painterly, and this is a bit more, like, low-poly, isn't it? Mm. It's a bit more abstract, this. Yeah, a bit more, like, solid fills in um, the textures and stuff. But yeah, I know what you mean, for sure. It gets across a lot of character with not very much graphical fidelity or detail. Yeah. Anyway, you were partway through. You said originally you go on a truck, then you go on a bird, then you go on a boat. You didn't actually say that, but... Then you're on a boat, yes, so that's the next bit. And then you're, like, completely on rails again, and you're not even in control of the backwards and forwards. You're just being taken with the current. And your only choice at each point when you stop on the boat is whether to leave the boat or stay on the boat. Mm. You're also in a minecart at one and stage. And also in a minecart. That's another sort of backwards and, and forwards, but in two dimensions, I suppose, rather than the zero, which is around and around, yeah. Oh yeah, that's the other thing, is there is no set angle that you're viewing your characters from. Mm. Sometimes it's 2D, sometimes it's isometric, sometimes it's super zoomed out, like when you're navigating the map. Sometimes it's super, super close up. So like, there are these interludes between the main acts, which seem to just be their own little scenes. And one of them is just a telephone, like a giant pink telephone. I love the telephone. And you pick it up and there's just one number written by it and you dial the number and then you get a touch tone menu and each tone is something absolutely batshit crazy. You can click on whichever one you want and it unfolds. Sometimes it leads to another touchtone menu and you can get totally lost in the menus, basically, while you're waiting. I'm not even clear why you're dialing the number in the first place. It's just really cool. I think it's called like the secret tourism board or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like the secret tourism hotline. Hello. You have dialed into here and there along the Echo. A guide to the Echo River for drifters and pilgrims. This guide is a public service provided by the Bureau of Secret Tourism. Yeah, I spent 30 minutes, I reckon, on that phone. And most of that was telling a man about a snake that I was holding. If you're holding a snake right now, press 4. To hear these options again... Press zero. I, I spent over an hour. Really? Can you believe that? Yeah, I literally spent over an hour on that phone. <laughs> so did you hear all the organ music? Uh, yeah, I heard all the organ music as well. That's in a different place, though, isn't it? No, it's when you you press like one or something, and it's like, are you hearing strange music or something like that? It's like press one for yes, and you press it, and it's like, is it this organ music? And then it just plays you a really long load of organ music. Didn't even hear that bit. Really? Because then yeah. I was like, I listened to the whole organ and I was like, no, it's not. I'll push two. So I was like, two, it's not that one. And he's like, are you sure? It sounds like this. And plays the exact same piece again. Press one if that's the music you're hearing. Otherwise, press two. Hmm. In that case, I don't know where it's coming from. It's nice though, isn't it? Let's listen to it again. <laughs> but but it does the same thing with the choose the story with this telephone line. Like it's exactly the same format. He'll say, ah, you're holding a snake. Is the snake doing this? Is the snake doing that? Like press one if the snake's doing this. Um, so you're still choosing your own adventure, but you're hearing it evolve. And I suppose in the phone scenario, you can go back and see what the other options are. But 
I didn't want to do that. I was like, no, this is against the rules. I've made my decision now and, I, and I, that's my story. And so I don't, I don't want to go back and hear it again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's no scum saving in this kind of game. There is not. I didn't even think there was a way to save. No, I there's think. no. It's like, well, basically when I sat down to play, it was, I am going to finish the act every time I sat down Same. pretty much. Same. Or at least like a shit ton of scenes. But yeah, while looking at those exhibits that I mentioned before, speaking of options... One of the options that it gives you and that you can choose is to remember something either positively or with regret. Mm. And like it provoked a bit of introspection because I thought, what kind of player do I want to be here? Do I want to be the person who looks back, you know, I wish I'd done that? Mm. Or shall I try and play with a bit of positivity and be like, I remember that really fondly? Uh all the way through it was doing that so there's one for me like what there's one point um where this is almost your last job because i think that the person that employs you lisette maybe their name is has passed away or has died is that right yeah lisette i mean it's not clear whether she's passed away or not because you play in one of the interludes you're with her you're with her yeah having a chat you're with her having a chat and to me in that scene i thought this woman has dementia and she's forgetting And every time she stumbles in remembering something, I'm filling in her memory for her, which I thought was really interesting. Like, that's what you do with people that have dementia anyway. One of the things which helps to calm them is not to worry about what actually happened, but just to calmly feel what they can't remember with a thing, a truth. It doesn't matter as long as it's like calmly done and comforting for them. And you're doing that for Lisette in the scene. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was really moving. <laughs> None of the advice you hear on this podcast is medical advice. <laughs> I am a qualified social worker. We'll just put that out there. <laughs> okay, you can take that on board yourself, mate. <laughs> I'm not having someone ring up like, I told my gran this crazy thing and now she's done it and it's your fault. <laughs> not crazy things. I'm just talking about like calm things. I, Comforting, I, calm, crazy things. Because hmm, you'll stress them out if you're like, I can't remember what it is. You can't remember what it is. And they're like, no, I can't remember. And you're like, I can't remember either. Ah, we're also it's better just to be like, ah, no, no, I think, I think we just left that um, in the supermarket. Ah, okay. <laughs> but it's a slightly more uh, poignant decisions you're making in Kentucky Route Zero. <laughs> Anyway, I'd never seen that dynamic before, and I thought, that's fucking interesting. Mm. What did you make of the scene when you are in a bar? This is another interlude. Mm. You're just in a bar, and you're hearing some people have a chat with the barman. A little slow tonight, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What will it be? And the barman's... (laughs) Basically, everyone owes him money, but he hasn't got any money. And they keep running up tabs and everyone's celebrating, but they're not clear what they're celebrating. And he keeps talking about a holiday that he may or may not have gone on. I thought that was probably the slowest interlude for me, but still interesting. Uh, it reminded me of, do you know Andy Schaff, the musician? Nope. His latest album, he does these sort of concept albums and the whole album is just set in a bar. Right. Every song is just like what's going on in the bar. So yeah, it, rem- it reminded me of that. She didn't ask, she just opened a cold can and set it down in front of me. I said thanks and thought about how Judy used to come here with me. Oh, well, if we're throwing out musical comparisons, for some reason, I was reminded almost immediately of the ballads of Harry James Angus and his album Little Stories. Absolutely. You're you're spot on there, for sure it did. I think it's the tone and the lyrics conjure the same sort of ambience, like a blend of wistfulness and nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I had come to this place to bury some things. Bury my iPod, bury my rings, and I filled the hole with all my cycling clothes. And in that album, like, you hear so many of these little stories, and by the end of this game, it's like that as well. You do get to know quite a lot of characters, like, not exactly well, but the core crew of sort of seven or eight of them I felt pretty invested in by the end yeah I mean Junebug and Johnny they're the musicians that you meet yeah. part way through they're speeding along the road and you've broken down on the side of the road and they speed past you and straight away it cuts and there's this cool music like electro what do they call it wave synth whisper wave yeah
like there's this music going on and you're speeding along and one of you's in a sidecar and you can choose which bit of the road you're looking at or whether you're looking out to the side like Mm -hmm. i'm not really sure why but you can (laughs) and then minor observations are made but they obviously speed past you and you're playing them and they notice that you've got a dog and Johnny loves dogs. So you like turn around to go back to see the dog and that's the sort of premise for you meeting. They've just got a really cool dynamic the whole time and they get really fond of the kid that you're with who has the big bird. Mm. Okay, yeah, we didn't really mention the big bird other than that you fly around for a bit. But I mean, it is fucking weird. It's a bird called Julian. He's a kid called Ezra and the bird just literally picks you up and flies you around and it's massive. And there's loads (laughs) of bird imagery in loads of the scenes. Sometimes you're looking at the scene in a sort of isometric perspective and as you change angle, you just notice there's some talons like sitting on a beam or something in the corner and you're like, what's the bird doing here? (laughs) Yeah. The reason which you're in that museum, which is where Julian and Ezra live, this kid and their brothers, even though they're clearly not the same species, and uh, Ezra wears a suit as well. Is it the Gaston Trust for Imagined Architecture? I think it is, yeah. Sounds right, sounds right. Sort of control-esque name there. It is, yeah. You're looking for a doctor because, like you mentioned before, you've hurt your leg. So you're after a doctor to fix it. But the doctor's moved to the forest, and so you, for some reason, Julian the bird moves the houses between the forest and the, the museum <laughs> each, each day and each night. No idea why. Uh, but anyway, you get a ride on this bird, and that's why you get to control the bird. Um, and then that brings us on quite nicely to what happens when the doctor uh, fixes your leg. Which is basically just like a hallucinogenic trip, sort of, isn't it? I mean, actually, the whole game is basically a, is a basically hallucinogenic trip. Putting the trip into road trip. Eh? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> but trippy, yes, but also unsettling because there's this whole arc or there's this thing in the background, the whole game of these two companies, the Consolidated Power Company and the Hard Times Whiskey Distillery. And these two companies seem to be the main source of power, or not power literally, but like they're in charge, basically. That's the vibe you get from them. Everything goes through them. Either you're selling Hard Times Whiskey or you're using Consolidated Power and everyone. What about the mail depot or whatever and the telephone exchange? Yeah, the Bureau of um, the Bureau of Secret Information. Reclaimed Spaces. Ah, oh, Reclaimed Spaces. Well, completely different. Yeah, but that doesn't really... They seem like a neutral party, don't you think? They don't. They seem more like an observer than a... Yeah, but you, you're constantly going back to the Bureau all the time and looking for Lula Chamberlain. Yeah, you are, you are. In fact, there's an, a really fucking weird sequence of events when you first arrive at the Bureau. So you arrive, first of all, you're like, are we indoors or outdoors right now? And none of you seem to know the answer. Yeah, that's and then weird. you go over to the desk and you can just skip the desk and go straight to the lifts. But you go over to the desk and the woman's like, oh, I'm never normally working here. I'm normally working on something else. She gives you kind of an overview of the building. You go up in the lift and the lift on one floor, it's just got bears. Yeah. Like literally, you just get off the lift and it's just about 10 bears just milling about. The bear floor. Yeah, the bear floor doing nothing. And then... In the game, it says, oh, go up and chat to this guy on floor five or something. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to see every floor on the way up. So I got off on floor one and you're laughing and I'm guessing you did exactly the same. Exactly the same thing. As a player playing a game, you think, right, they've told me to go to floor five. There's no way I'm missing out on floors one, two, three and four. So you just go up systematically. But actually, you, you needed to go to floor one in the first place. And the, the person at reception had sent you on a wild goose chase. But like, I'm going to say 90% of players are going to just stop on floor one and get to where they needed to be to begin with by not following the instructions of the game. I'm almost certain that's intentional. Yeah, probably. And like when you go over and you find Lula Chamberlain, then she still sends you up to floor five, doesn't she? So you've still got to get, you've still got to work your way up there eventually. Yeah. It happens at other points in the game as well, but these floors, you're never really exactly sure where you can and can't stand in the game. Like you're moving around your sprite and sometimes you kind of go behind things, but it doesn't feel janky. It's like, it's really smooth. Like you just click somewhere and you just stroll there, but then you're a bit surprised that you've been allowed to like enter like go behind this pillar or like something like that because it's just not clear like you can't click there yeah there's no what's the word in a game when you're aiming like cross (laughs) 
No. Uh. <laughs> the cortical. What's it called? The, the crosshair. Uh. There's no crosshair. No, there is no crosshair. There's this weird kind of like stake that when you click on the ground, it implants this stake and then this sort of horseshoe. <laughs> yeah, it's the horseshoe game, isn't it? It's like your every. <laughs> Every point that you move, you're playing that little horseshoe game each time. Yeah. So bizarre. I actually love that. I love that. But more than I love that, jumping ahead, is in Act 5, where you're not any of the characters. You're a cat. You're a cat chasing a dragonfly. And every time you click, the dragonfly moves. And it moves exactly like a dragonfly. It does this like little dip before it takes off Mm. and sort of zips straight to where it needs to be and then does that like flitting thing of just hovering there. And the cat sort of bounds after it playfully. And then when it gets there, just sort of circles it or sits nearby or something. And like, that's your cursor. Cursor. That's, that was the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Nice. Ah, oh, playing as that cat. There's something, because, like, we kind of implied it before, but especially when Conway's legs hurt, you're stumbling around, it's so slow. Other points in the game, you're not even in control of where you're moving. And then you get this freedom as the cat in Act 5. It just feels awesome to run around as that cat. Yeah, it's so fluid. Yeah, it's so fluid. It made me be like, I'm just going to make a game where I'm just running around as a cat. It's like playing Assassin's Creed for the first time. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is. At the very beginning of this game, not quite beginning, Act 2, there's a text that says, the work's on display here also trace the extremes of our capabilities and the frontiers of patience as both viewers and exhibitors. And I thought, there's a little message from the game devs <laughs> to the player. Like, this is going to stress your patience a bit, but just just go with it. Just chill. Definitely. Yeah. And there's a couple of moments like that. Like later, the desk clerk somewhere says, people can be so impatient. And I feel like they're kind of cautioning you about it. There's another moment later on when... The doctor actually is talking about some of the side effects of the drug that he gives you Mm. for your leg. And he says, typically we see daydreaming, deja vu, pensiveness, fugue states, irregular perception of time, lateness. And I was like, basically, you see Kentucky Route Zero. Like the whole game is that. The irregular perception of time is what I was saying before. Like one moment you go in and they're speaking about you from the future and you're in the past and other times you feel like you're planning the future another time the main character just disappears just leaves you're like where's he gone and he's just gone for the rest of the game he's like got a new job yeah but that's not he's just not got a new job he's been kidnapped by a voracious company the thing you missed with the um when he the doctor fixes his leg is that from that point onwards he's in debt to the company like, he's been put in this whole contractual situation, and Conway's just like, well, yeah, I guess I'll go along with it, kind of thing. But Shannon's like, you shouldn't have done that. Like, you signed your life away. And then at another point in time, you go, um, probably should mention it first. After you fix your leg, you don't have your leg anymore. It's like this electric skeleton leg, which you see other people in the game having. Mm. And then when you finally visit the Hard Times Distillery, everyone that works there is just like full on electric skeleton bodies. And they get you to taste a little bit of, maybe this is hardly subtle, allusion to drinking problems, but <laughs> they get you to sip a little bit of the whiskey. And then he's like, well, you've got to work for us now. And Conway's like, nah, I'm not up for that. And the person that's let you taste it just says something like, well, that's going to be a problem. Like, you're in our debt now. We just gave you some nice whiskey. And Conway's like, well, I guess if I've got a debt, then i got to pay it off. And that's why he's got to go and work at the distillery. And it's heartbreaking. <laughs> there definitely is an economic depression vibe. No one's got the money for stuff. There's these big companies that are in the background. The thing is, those big companies, I don't think, are seen as, like, the baddies in the game, really. Really? For instance, one of them is a woman who's... It's her only job. Actually, it's a really nice moment. You're on the river, you go into this waterway to look for a telephone exchange, and you get there and there's this woman typing and dialing phones. She's the operator for calls that are coming through the exchange. And originally there were loads of them, or like 12 or 13 or something. Then they got rid of everyone, basically made them redundant, except for her, because they had an automated system that was going to replace her. But the automated system had to learn the exact timings and like how she does it, basically, because she's like the model they're basing the automated system on. And she has this interesting little moment where she's like, what if there isn't an automated system and it's just me? Is that worse than 
there being an automated system and me teaching it and it ultimately replacing me and the subtext being that like people doing bullshit jobs are like automated parts of machinery to me she said quite bluntly i'm worried that it's just because it's cheaper to pay me to do it than it is to develop a machine to do it for me so it's not that there's a human value to her role it's simply that she's cheaper than building a machine that could do the job better she's worth less than a machine I just thought that was so, like, clearly, like, not necessarily, like, anti-automation and rapacious capitalism, but certainly, like, here's the human cost. You're making people feel less valuable than machines. I'm inferior, who's inferior? Yeah, you need to check the interior of the system. Who cares about only one culture and that? So we gotta take the power back. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely some element along those lines. I would say there was an under current throughout that was sort of nearly luddite in tone Mm. there's one scene where you go into a forest and there's just computers burning and a pyre in the middle Mm. a writer has says he's given up because computers lifeless and soulless so there's no point in writing anymore every electrical item in the game pretty much is broken or defunct right from the very start when you try and fix a TV and you're crap so you can't and that's why you end up finding this weaver girl who for some reason used to fix TVs but no longer does kind of thing and there's that subtext throughout of people being supplanted by machines and then I think it's someone at the um, burning pyre of computers says something like do you have any idea what it's like to spend your life building something and then sit powerless as your work declines into ruin Mm. and it made me think of I know we already talked about AIs a fair amount, but did you see about the deep mind protein folding algorithm that just basically protein folding is this like epic problem in science that people have been trying to solve for ages. And then this AI just kind of just solved it. Not exactly. There's more to it than that. We've covered this before. I'm not a scientist. Read about it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it turned out this guy had studied one protein fold for like a decade and not managed to understand like how it formed that shape Mm -hmm. and then they gave it to the deep mind ai and it solved it in like 30 minutes that must be fucking weird and it made me think while i was playing this game because i just read that i was like that's kind of like this like imagine if your whole raison d'etre in life was just snuffed out by the power of a machine really quickly Mm. but that's juxtaposed against this question of like if this is stuff that can be done by machines, is it weird that instead we're doing it? Are we not just fulfilling the same role as a machine? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, there's a feeling of, like, obsolescence there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, big time, big time. Obsolescence of, like, old machines and old people doing, like, old jobs which no longer need to be done. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not just that. It's more on the nose than that because Conway himself is a driver for an antiques Teaks company, company. Yeah. in an old truck doing its last ever delivery yeah, run yeah, yeah, yeah. before going out of business or whatever. Yeah, for sure. You're right. Do you not think, then, that the fact that the two points of power in the game are the power company, so it's like, all we need is electricity and drink, basically. That's what it's saying. Like, drink to keep the people happy, power to keep the machines running. That's what I thought it was saying. What, the whole game? (laughs) No, not completely. But, like, this is a really bleak view of human society, is, like, drink to keep people happy and power to keep their computers running. Sustenance and pleasure, basically. It's kind of in the same vein as with a lot of David Lynch and stuff like Twin Peaks you know the David Lynch thing and a razor head a lot of his works have these themes with a message sort of didactic stories but that are so abstract as to detach anything obvious Mm. from them and instead leave you with a sense that that's what he's saying but to get there you've got to be really 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 disoriented first yeah i don't i don't want to get too english literature on you <laughs> but it is quite a postmodern game <laughs> in the literary sense but yeah not quite like it's a little bit more direct than that i think so it was a kickstarter game in 2011 mm. and in their kickstarter they said it's a magic realist adventure game about a secret highway in kentucky and the mysterious folks who travel it right so like they say up front like they're not trying to be classical mm in any way magical realism as a genre is not that old yeah no 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 not at all 
Do you have any Flan O'Brien? Yeah, mate, I've got him mentioned in my notes here. The third policeman or whatever it's called, quote unquote. The third policeman, because you didn't enjoy that book very much, did you? No, but you did. I love it. Yeah, it's one of my favourite No, books. I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed this more because I was a bit more involved in this, but I still didn't love this. Like I was just found it too sort of discombobulating. Hmm. The same here. Like it's not like there were loads of points in the game where I really warmed to it. But I did at the end, like I, I felt this tremendous sense of loss, general loss for everything that had happened in the game. So it definitely affected me on an emotional level more so than a lot of games do. But did you also feel a sense of reward in terms of like a dawning comprehension? Because I felt that that was lacking. Like I really wanted, you know, the premise is you've got this package to deliver and you're going to deliver it no matter what, no, no matter what environment you're in no matter what form of transport you have to take, you're going to deliver this package. And it's almost like the whole way through, you're like, what's the package? And also like, when's he going to get there? And how is he going to get there? And then it's almost like, even though every scene is a progression along that route, they're so unrelated to the actual traveling Mm. that you almost disengage from that plot. And then when you realise that you're at the very end, you've reached Five Dogwood Drive and you're like, oh yeah, what's it going to be? What's the revelation? I don't know that there was a climax that was really fitting for that grand ending. No. And I found that a little bit disappointing. Like watching Inherent Vice, the P.T. Anderson movie, where it's kind of a stoner PI who's going to solve this missing girl's kidnapping or something. And you're like, oh, okay, well, it's an interesting premise. And then the whole film happens and you're kind of like, Jesus, I didn't even follow any idea that there was a missing girl. I have no idea how it all comes <laughs> together. Like, it just seems like a series of sort of random asides. Yeah, like it's loose, isn't it? There's a lot of loose threads and it kind of meanders to a conclusion which doesn't really exactly fit the journey very neatly. I think maybe one reason that didn't bother me as much as it may have done you is that for some reason I decided from the offset that I didn't want to reach Five Dog Drive. As if in a traditional game you're like looking for clues, like where is this place? Quite often you're given the option to say like, oh, have you seen Five Dogwood Drive? Do you know where it is? And I never took that option, not once. I was kind of Mm. like leaning into the weirdness. Yeah, that's quite flattering, if anything, actually. Because they reached a point in the game around Act 4 or something. I think I was already on the river, whenever that is, when... I realised that you, as you're going along the river, you're giving prompts and you're kind of stopping off at places. And I knew that these were all places en route to destination. And I realised that each prompt would open a new scene. And so one of them was like, you go foraging for mushrooms. Mm. And then another one was like, you just lounge in the hold with the other dogs or something like that. And you know that you're going to play whatever scene you choose. Mm. And I played the mushrooms one and it was quite long. <laughs> and also you're picking mushrooms like it's kind of weird and having a conversation about mushrooms while you're doing it not even mushrooms half of the time like just random things cigarette packs it's very bizarre and then when I got back on the boat next time I was prompted and given a series of choices I literally was like right I'm going to choose the one that is going to least deviate from my course on the river because I want to get to fucking dogwood drive right now (laughs) so I think we both knew that that was going on in the game but whereas you were like yeah I'm going to explore the randomness I was kind of like a bit too out of my comfort zone and just wanting something a little bit more with a whisper of mainstream about it interesting but it didn't necessarily mean that I was adventurous all the time so the act where you're on the boat there's just this two choices between the two scenes and you know that whichever scene you choose you'll leave the other one behind and you won't see it for the playthrough it's literally like an act of two halves where you only see half the content in that act quite a brave design decision i'd say yeah for sure sometimes you do jump back and play the other side though do you yeah don't you remember like when you first find the church where you then descend into the under church and meet the electric skeleton men and get hired for a new job when you first get there you can stay outside as ezra and junebug or whoever you're with ezra and weaver i did stay outside yeah yeah me too and so you don't see what happens in the church and then they come out flushed but then later in the game you go down into the church and you're playing what happened inside the church 
and you leave them outside. I didn't realise you had those two options there. I missed that because that's not the boat act. That's a bit earlier on, isn't it? That's a bit earlier on, I guess. Uh, to be honest, all the acts sort of blend in a little bit. The reason I wanted to mention not necessarily always being adventurous is that on the boat act, I felt quite vulnerable. I was like, I don't want this boat to leave me behind. So I just made the decision to choose every option which kept me on the boat. So I just played on the boat <laughs> that entire act. Wait, so did you not go off to the telephone exchange through the bat sanctuary then? But that bit you're forced to do. The reason I know you're forced to do it is because every option I decided to stay on the boat. And then at that point it was like, all right, and you're going out on the dinghy as well. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's the option I didn't choose. <laughs> oh, right, okay. I want to stay on the boat. So, yeah. And that confirmed my confirmed my worst fears. <laughs> but the bat sanctuary, I was a bit baffled by because you go into the bat sanctuary and it's really cool. You're kind of going through these roots, almost like giant mangroves mm. that you're working your way through, and bats are flitting around you, and it looks cool. It's a sort of slow atmosphere, a little bit haunting, I suppose. But you come across these plaques. Again, like there's quite a lot of these sort of plaques, like as if everything is an exhibit throughout the game almost. And because you're in a bat sanctuary, so it's giving you information about the bats. <laughs> but one of the first plaques you come to, it says... <laughs> I love it how it becomes so matter of fact. Yeah, just in the bat sanctuary, uh, in the boat. Uh, <laughs> in the motorboat. Yeah, near the telephone <laughs> <Yeah>. exchange. <laughs> um, and it says that the bats don't like light and don't scare them and stuff like that. And so you've got the option at the bottom of the screen, the only option, in fact, as you're sort of just drifting slowly through the sanctuary, the only thing you can really do as the player is click on this button that turns off your lantern or turns it on. Yeah. But every time you turn it off, it took me a while to realise this, your boat stops moving forwards I know. and you don't see any bats. Yeah. So I just felt like I'd been tricked when I initially, every time I saw a bat on screen, I was like, don't scare it off, turn off the lantern, thinking of that glowing dice at the beginning. And every time my boat just stopped. And one time, I was the very first time it happened, I was honestly waiting for about 45 seconds for something to happen in the darkness. Yeah, I had exactly the same experience. It's just another, like, fuck you, not even a fuck you to the player, just like this is our story you get to decide some of the words that are spoken but the direction is preordained you don't have a choice <laughs> yeah interesting interesting there are a lot of underground places as well so it's not just that you also go into the mine at the beginning and there's quite a lot of reference about this mine actually that's another thing about the sort of role of humans as workers and stuff like that oh yeah all the dead mine workers that the company didn't take care of <laughs> and there's like a memorial of their helmets <laughs> yeah Exactly. Yay! <laughs> also, when you go in the church, you go underground, you go sort of down in this lift to get there. Mm. There's just a sort of running theme that you're among the denizens of the deep. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to get that in there, are you? Translation. This is a message via NBC. Code of message for the denizens of the deep. The human beings of intelligent evolved, but it's sane and I don't know how long they can keep. This is a message via NBC. Code of message for the denizens of the deep. The human beings are intelligent, evolved, but it's sane, and I don't know how long they can keep. Well, we're on the lower depths, let's say. Mm -hmm. That is actually the name of one of the bars you stop at. Lower depths. On the river is the lower depths as well. Mm -hmm. So, like, there definitely is a theme there. Yeah, deeper and even deeper. Like, you go to that um, restaurant and there's the person that goes down in their diving bell into the waters to collect the fish, the daily catch, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So what's going on there? What's all that about? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. So those people are kind of surviving. I almost feel like they're renegades on that river, and maybe there are, like, hints of, like, the last vestiges of American liberty. Yeah, one of them's a floating destroyer called the Iron Pariah, is it? Oh yeah, the Iron Pariah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, it's just floating along filled with cats and there's no one else on it. It's just cats. I love <laughs> Yeah. Wait. Do I remember that? It's the telephone man that tells me about the Iron Pariah. Yeah, but when you go foraging for mushrooms with Ezra at the end of that scene she's telling you about the Iron Pariah and then the Iron Pariah floats into view along the front. Oh, I see. And you can watch it and it drifts past 
as it comes in there's this sort of like squeaking and stuff and they keep talking about this ghost ship and these shrill whines and moans that emanate from it and how it's like so haunted and then as it floats into view you just realise it's just full of cats there's like no ghosts (laughs) unless the cats are the ghosts also one of the computers that you end up playing a game within a game and having another text adventure inside of is this computer which is called Xanadu which I can only imagine is a reference to Kubla Khan yeah Kubla Khan poem the Samuel Taylor Coleridge poem you of course know all about that Taylor don't you because didn't you do an English <laughs> literature degree oh man in Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man, down to a sunless sea. It did make me feel like that, though. Like, as I was playing it, I just thought, I'm approaching this like a book. I did that in Disco Elysium, but usually, I don't know, you have a different approach to, like, your critical analysis of games, don't you? Like, you do with films or whatever. Books, it's like, you're in a different zone. But this game, I just felt like it was closer to that zone than the game zone. <laughs> I don't know what these zones are that I'm <laughs> conjuring up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would say it even mocks the game zone a little bit. Like, at one stage, you're, I think, just stood in a car park on the edge of a puddle, and there's this little girl there just stood at the edge of this puddle looking out with a paper boat. And she puts it down and she says to you, Ezra, the little kid, oh, do you want to say anything? And one of your options is to say some sort of romantic poetry as it disappears from view on the horizon Mm. and I chose that option I was like oh yeah I'll give that a shot and she's like okay that sounds like a good idea and then she puts the paper boat down and it barely moves at all and I was like but if I'm gonna say my romantic words I've got to wait for it to move and I honestly sat there for about five minutes before it disappeared and then she says can you still see it? And you're like, oh no, if I squint, I guess I can. And she's like, well, you'd better say your words now then, hadn't you? And so you say it, and you say some random cheesy poetry that lets you choose each line. And then I got an achievement for watching her boat go over the horizon. And I thought that is like them taking the piss out of gamers. Mm. And like, you know, in Steam, it tells you how many people got it. 0.4% of gamers got it. So fucking yeah. I will waste my time to get those <laughs> pointless gamer points. Well, that makes you feel special that you've discovered something that hardly anyone else does. But also, it was that thing of like knowing, like feeling that maybe there was a secret there if I just waited long enough to find it. And there was, which was nice. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Did you ever play uh, Swords and Sorcery? Quite an early mobile phone game. Mm, the uh, pixel-based graphics one, yeah? 8-bit or something. Yeah, pixel art pretty sick uh, soundtrack by Jim Guthrie. I remember listening to the soundtrack loads when the game came out. But that had a similar tone to the game and it had that feeling of like there being secrets, but in actual fact, the game was quite linear, but there were still a few secrets dotted around which you could find like little achievements like you had there. Yeah, I bet there were more secrets in that touch tone menu, for instance. Yeah. If you wanted to go looking for them, you've got three save spots to do so. Hmm. <laughs> This world is not my home I'm just passing through Music. We haven't talked about the music, man. And, like, it's quite a big deal in the game since a lot of the scenes that you enter into are, for instance, at bars where there is a band playing or you're the band. Like, a couple of your characters are musicians, Junebug and Johnny, and you meet their mates as well, Serrano. Each time you are introduced to these musicians, invariably you will then see them perform at a later date. But in addition to those characters that you sometimes play who are musicians, there are also just NPCs who just float in and out of view on like barges or whatever yeah or like stood as silhouettes in the wood just playing away on their little banjos and the little guitars which is really cool all of that music is written by one guy ben babbitt his name is really and he's released an album for junebug and a album for the bed quilt ramblers who i assume are the guys in the background and you can listen to both of them on Spotify, if you so choose. I definitely will. Or any other music platform. <laughs> yeah, I haven't listened to it, but I will give it a listen. I love the music in the game. The sound design generally in the game is super well realised. 
everything clangs and splashes satisfyingly, doesn't it? Yeah, although it's all quite muted. Like the whole game is clearly meant to be. Like the colours themselves are quite subdued mm. in such a way that it feels like you're listening to it from a great distance or from underwater or something like that. So like one of the sounds you'll hear a lot in the game is the truck that you leave running, which is like... And the lights going off and on like... And it's quite hypnotic, isn't it? So you get a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I did enjoy the music and I liked the whisper wave. It made me think of the conversation we had about genres in the other episode we did. God, what was that game? The one about Hypnospace Overdrive. Outlaw. Hypnospace Outlaw, yeah. Uh, that's it, yeah. Hypnospace Outlaw. <laughs> I love the fact that we're getting so uh, podcast worldly now that we're forgetting <laughs> the games that we played. Well, it's because there's actually another game which ends in Overdrive, right? Sunset Overdrive, which is fucking awesome game as well, actually. Mm. Watch it! Sounds like you got a bunch of them coming your way. Oh, while I was talking about composers, music, etc., it turns out there's only three guys put this whole game together. What? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mentioned it was a Kickstarter at the beginning. They only had 205 backers and they managed to raise just over $8,500. And they formed this company called Cardboard Computer. And this is their only game. So they've been working on this. They're still, I think, putting out updates because it's just come out on Switch on a version they're calling like the TV edition, which as far as I know is like more or less the same. So when you said in the last episode, it's from the same guys who bought us Outer Wilds. I just wanted to clarify, it's the same publisher yeah, that bought yeah. us Outer Wilds and Aperna Interactive. It's not actually the same guys. Yeah, I, I noticed that as soon as I loaded up the game. I was like, ah, this is actually a different studio. Yeah. So these guys are, because there's only three of them, figure I mention them. Jake Elliott, design, programming and writing, and Tamas Kamazensky, definitely said his name wrong, Kamensky, design and art. And Ben Babbitt, the composer. That's wicked. Ah, so inspiring, isn't it? What I did notice is that the fifth act only came out in January this year. We're actually not too late to the party on, like, the finished product on this. So they basically released the whole thing in a series of acts, each one with a prolonged period of development between. After the very first one, I think expectations were so high, which, in honesty, I don't fully understand why. Like, don't get me wrong, it's pretty unique in a lot of ways, but I don't fully understand how it's been quite so critically acclaimed as it has been. Well, yeah. But reviews were, like, off the charts anyway. It got a massive critical reception, like, garnered loads of critical praise. And as a result, they must have had so much pressure on them, feeling like, shit, this would better be as good as the last one. Yeah, like, difficult second, third album or whatever. Yeah, exactly. For me, the pacing of the acts worked really well. Like, each one built upon the other really satisfyingly. Not exactly got more epic, but... Yeah, they do get progressively more involved, I would say, though. A little bit more involved, apart from maybe the last one, which is a lot shorter. But did you notice in the final act... It's a little bit like you're still on the zero oh, yeah. because you play as the cat, but the map is like a sphere. It's like a circle rather. Yeah, yeah. And so if you run around one way, you'll get a certain series of stories. And when you turn and run back, you get a different series. And it's like you're still on the zero. For sure. Yeah. Which is quite cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, did you notice? And Terry's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> sure. English degree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to get tired. Oh, it's a late night for Teo. To be fair, it is, it is a late night. It's a late night for both of us. And also, playing this game is kind of like dreaming. So then going to sleep will just be a continuation of that dream. I did feel quite happy to play it before going to bed, which I don't, like right before going to bed, which I don't always, but I was like, ah, it's basically just a nighttime story. Yeah, it's because <laughs> it's soporific. That's why. Yeah. Like, definitely doesn't get the adrenaline bumping, that's for sure. Not in a bad way. Unlike our next game, Teo. Which is Death Stranding. That's right, listeners. Death Stranding. And... There's a little bit of a a Christmas treat for everyone. We're going to release it on the 25th. On Christmas Christmas Day. Christmas episode. As Christ is born, so shall the 25th... Not the 25th episode, but our next episode also be born. Mm. Sort of biblical, in a way. So it was, and so it shall be. 
Don't judge a book by its cover. He who dares wins. Look before you leap. Do you believe in life after love? That's a song. After that, however, we will be taking a, a little short break just to get back on our feet. Will we? I don't know. We're taking a short yeah. break. <laughs> That's news to me. <laughs> what kind of break are you planning? <laughs> well, all I mean is, because we're releasing one on the 25th, then there's going to be like a little bit of time. It won't necessarily be three weeks. It's Christmas, you know, so like shit going on, shit going down. And uh, then after that, we might not release in our normal three weekly window from the 25th. It might be like nearer the end of January is all I'm saying. All right. I'm just giving people a friendly warning not to expect like clockwork three weeks after Christmas Day, the next episode is what I'm saying. We deserve a holiday. I suppose, don't we? We do deserve a holiday. We've done a year of podcasting. Well, hot damn. Who'd have funk it, eh? Who'd of mother funk it? <laughs> oh, Teo, come on. You know I don't like that language. Well. I told you not to say that. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right, we're done. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Happy 2020 Christmas and 2021 New Year. <laughs> Wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings. Okay, I'm not going for that bit.